Praise the Lord. Oh, preacher, how can you, you can be seated. How can you be so dogmatic about the truth that God saves? Well, I are one of him that he has saved. Amen. All right, if you have your Bibles, I want you to take them to Acts chapter number 23. Acts chapter number 23. And so uh, we have finished up the book of Ruth, and uh, uh, in these interim times, I uh, like to go to different places, and so I want you to go with me to Acts chapter number 23, and I want to read down through, from the first verse, down through verse number uh, number 8, and from there we'll pick up reading as we go through, but I want to speak to you on this topic this morning, when the Lord stands by. Now you'll You'll understand that a little bit later on in the message, but I want to talk about when the Lord stands by. Acts chapter 23, look at verse number 1. And Paul earnestly, beholding the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God unto this day. And the high priest Ananias uh, commanded them that stood by him to smite him on the mouth. Then said Paul unto him, God shall smite thee, thou widened wall. For, for sittest thou to judge me after the law, and commandest me to be smitten contrary to the law? And they that stood by, revilest thou God's high priest? Then Paul said, I wist not, brethren, that he was the high priest. For it is written, thou shalt not speak evil of the ruler of thy people. But when Paul perceived that the one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in, uh, in the council, Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee of the son of a Pharisee of the hope, that, and re- uh, of the hope and resurrection of the dead am I called in question. And when he said, so said, there arose great dissension between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the multitude was divided. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, neither angel nor spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. And there arose a great cry, and the scribes that were of the Pharisees uh, part arose and strove, saying, We find no evil in this man, but if a spirit or angel hath spoken to him, let us not fight against God. And when there arose a great dissension, the chief priests, fearing lest Paul should be pulled into pieces, commanded the soldiers to go down and to take him by force from among them and to bring him into the castle. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. We'll stop reading right there. And I want to talk to you when the Lord stands by. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. Thank you for our Lord Jesus. God, I pray that as we look at your word this morning, I pray that you would Give us solace and strength through your word. God, we pray that the Lord Jesus' word to the Apostle Paul would be one that would be given to us as well, who oftentimes find ourselves discouraged, disheartened, and depressed. May we gain, uh, may we gain uh, confidence and strength from the fact that you are always near. God, we pray that you'd speak to our hearts, convict of sin, draw us close to the Lord Jesus is our prayer. We ask this in Jesus' precious name, amen and amen. Don't you hate it when you're just dropped in the middle of a movie and you don't know what went before and what's coming after? That's kind of what I did to you this morning. As I dropped you in the middle of a controversy, that I need to explain why the Apostle Paul is where he's at. The wider 
a larger context of this scene goes back to chapter number 22. Paul, along with some of his companions, had gone to the temple to perform certain purification customs in order to refute the claims of many that he had completely rejected his Jewish heritage in his mission endeavors to the Gentiles. The Apostle Paul was known as the darling boy, or excuse me, Saul of Tarsus was known as the darling boy of the, of the fight against the Christian church. The road to Damascus changed that forever. He became the missionary to uh, the Gentiles. And when word got back of that, that he which had once, uh, once persecuted the faith, now preached the faith, they all they couldn't stand him. And so he made his way there to try to let them know that he had not completely forsaken his heritage. There was some embrace of that in his actions. And so when he went inside to perform this purification ritual with some others, he was recognized by Jews from Asia and falsely accused of defiling the temple by bringing Gentiles into areas which were forbidden to enter. There is no way the Apostle Paul would intentionally have done such a thing. It was a misaccusation. It was a false accusation. And because of that, a mob formed around the Apostle Paul with, uh, you can imagine this, it's right in the temple, people everywhere, and a mob swarms him and begins to take out their frustration, their aggression against him. Well, guess who's in charge? Doesn't matter if this is the temple. Doesn't matter if this is the Jewish rituals or whatever, order will be kept. And so the Romans diffused the situation by arresting Paul to try to find out what is going on. Remember, Rome's, Rome's biggest agenda was to keep the peace. That's what they wanted to do. They didn't care about you. Go ahead and worship religion, you Jews. Go ahead and do your religion. We're just going to keep the peace. And so they come in and they arrest Paul to try to sort out the issue. The next day is where we find our text. Paul is brought before the chief priest and the, uh, with the, the chief captain of the Romans to try to come to an agreement. What is going on here? What is the problem? What's the matter? In this scene, Paul had just declared that he was on trial because he believed in the resurrection from the dead. In doing so, he took a theological hand grenade and threw it in the middle of the scribes and the Pharisees because they couldn't agree on this. The Pharisees would have been the hardliners that stuck with the scriptures, that stuck with the law, that conformed. The Sadducees would have been your liberals. They would have been the deniers of resurrection and, and uh, maybe allegorized that Old Testament. And so when, you did, when he said that about the resurrection, he caused a disturbance between the accusing parties. And then, and then look, back at, look back with me at verse number 9. And then there arose a dissension of the, uh, excuse me, verse number 9. There arose a great cry. The scribes and Pharisees that were of the uh, a part arose and strove, saying, We find no evil in this man, uh, but if a spirit or angel has spoken to him, let us not fight against God. And there arose a great dissension of the chief priests, fearing lest Paul should have been pulled in pieces. Second time, his life is flashing before his eyes because somebody's trying to kill him. Look at what he says. Unless he be pulled into pieces of them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him by force from among them and to bring him into the castle. So here, here Paul is now 
retaken into custody. They couldn't come to an agreement on what the charges was. Paul's remarks uh, caused a violent outbreak. These two factions, he was removed from there and basically thrown back into prison. So here's Paul. The whole ordeal is a train wreck. He's trying to go in there to assure people that, that he hasn't left off his faith. Matter of fact, he is, he is believing that his faith is in fulfillment because of Jesus as the Messiah. But the others see it, don't, don't take it that way. So what Paul has basically done is, is he's sitting right in the middle of a train wreck. Now, Paul had a great love for his brethren. Paul wanted more than anything to see the Jewish people come to faith in Jesus Christ. And yet no matter what he said and what he tried to do, they would, they, all they wanted to do was try to kill him. Paul also had plans beyond going to the temple this day. He had plans of leaving Jerusalem uh, to start his fourth and last missionary journey to take the gospel where it had never gone before to the west, to Rome, and then on to Spain to the outer limits of the known world at the time. And yet all of his plans... All of his desires in this moment have basically unraveled before his eyes. Now I believe that we can safely say by the time we come to verse number 11, the Apostle Paul is disappointed, to say the least. You know, disappointment can arise from unfulfilled hopes and dreams. When life seems to take an unexpected turn in what to every visible indication seems to be the wrong direction, we can be disappointed. Disappointment can easily lead to discouragement. Discouragement. Not having courage. Discouragement is the loss of courage, the loss of strength to face what lies ahead. Discouragement says... You will never be able to overcome. You will never be able to make it through the setbacks that you can experience. And so when you have disappointment, unfulfilled dreams, unfulfilled hopes, and it comes to discouragement, you can't face the future, you can't go on, that easily leads to depression. Depression. And depression basically says, what's the use? It's the loss of all desire to go forward in strength. It is, the, it is the body, it is the mind saying what's the use. You know, the reality is that may be many of us right now. And if that is the case, I want you to hear verse 11 loud and clear. Listen closely. Verse number 11. And the night following, the Lord stood by him and said be of good cheer Paul for as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem so must thou bear witness also in Rome Paul I've got something ahead for you Paul don't be discouraged Paul don't be disappointed Paul don't be depressed there's more that lies Ahead, the realization of the Lord standing by us can change everything. Everything. Every one of us today can do exactly what Jesus says here. Be of good cheer. 
we can take heart. We can have courage to face tomorrow in the days ahead from the presence of Jesus by realizing three facts that the Lord presents in this verse. I want to show you three facts that will help us, help us go forward by the presence of the Lord. Number one, I want you to see that Jesus will attend our pain. Notice in verse number 11, he said, And the night following, the Lord stood by him. You know, come with me. In your imagination, down to that cell, that holding cell. You see him in there in the corner, the Apostle Paul weeping. Maybe praying, Lord, everything that I thought that I was going to do for you, everything that I thought was your will, was your direction in my life, has been ruined. I am a complete failure. How did I get myself into this? Now, in your mind's eye, Look across the room. And over there in the corner, the moment of Paul's pain, in the moment of Paul's pain, there is Jesus. Jesus is there. He is with him in that jail cell. Notice, first of all, I want you to see that Jesus sympathizes. You know what the word sympathy means? It quite literally means to suffer with. Jesus coming to Paul in his confinement reminds us that Jesus sympathizes with us. Why would Jesus come and manifest his presence with Paul now? I believe it is out of Jesus' sympathy. He is the sympathizing Savior. So therefore, Jesus suffers with us in our distresses. Hebrews 4.15, listen to what this says. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted, uh, tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Jesus can identify with our sorrows, with our hurts. He sympathizes. He suffers with us. You know, there's never a greater reminder of that than the Apostle Paul. Do you remember when he was Saul of Tarsus in Acts chapter number 9? And he was making his way down the road to Damascus. And Jesus, he, he appears to him in a light that is brighter than the noonday sun. Saul of Tarsus falls to the ground and he says, Who art thou, uh, Lord? And, and Jesus' was re- response to Saul was, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me. Now Saul wasn't persecuting Jesus per se. Jesus' physical body was in heaven, far removed from this earth. How could little old Saul of Tarsus be harming the, the, the heaven's delight on the throne of, uh, next to the Father in heaven? How is that possible that he could hurt him? Well, when he hurts The people of God, Jesus hurts as well. Jesus suffers when we suffer. He suffers when we suffer. The only way for for Jesus to be harmed is for his, uh, his followers to feel that suffering. Jesus suffers 
when his church suffers. So there is a sense in which Paul, as, which when, when Paul is on trial for his faith in Jerusalem, so is Jesus. When Paul is beaten, broken, and bruised, Jesus suffers right along with him. When Paul is isolated and alone and distressed, Jesus feels the same. This reminds us that there is not one experience, not one trial in your life or mine which the heart of the Lord Jesus is not touched with and in which we cannot suffer, which we, in which He cannot suffer alongside us. Jesus understands and knows what we're going through and He will attend to us in sympathy. Not feeling sorry for someone, but to suffer with someone. When you're betrayed, He feels it. When you're uh, overcome with failure, He feels it. He sympathizes with us. Notice also, He stands. In the night, the Lord stood by him. The Lord stood by him. The Lord Jesus came to where his suffering servant was and stood beside him. Later, the apostle Paul would write to the, his young protege, Timothy, in 2 Timothy 4, 16 and 7. Listen to what he said. At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge, notwithstanding... The Lord stood with me and strengthened me that, that by me the preaching might uh, be fully known and that all the Gentiles might hear and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. I believe he is exactly talking about this moment when he is in prison, when he is all alone. Jesus came to him and stood by him. Now we don't know. We don't know if Jesus' presence with the Apostle Paul was something like that of the road to Damascus? Was the whole jail cell filled with light brighter than the noonday sun? Or was it a quiet presence? I mean, when Jesus met the two on the road uh, to Emmaus after His resurrection and He talked with Him, there was, no, there was no effulgent presence. There was no glowing of Himself. He was just walking beside them and talking with them along the way I don't know what it was like for Jesus to stand by him but I do know this Jesus was there Jesus was there in what might possibly have been the darkest moment of his life Jesus was right there by his side listen Jesus does no less for us today Jesus departing words uh, concludes the Gospel of Matthew, made it clear, Lo, I am with thee always, even unto the end of the world. It is reiterated in Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. There's an old song that I remember being sung when I was a child, and it distills this truth. When Satan comes to tempt you and try to make you doubt, the Lord is near to hold you by the hand. 
with loving arms around you. He'll gently lead you out. He'll strengthen you. He'll give you grace to stand. Standing somewhere in the shadows, you'll find Jesus. He's the only one that cares and understands. Standing somewhere in the shadows, you will find Him and you'll know Him by the nail prints in His hand. Jesus sympathizes and Jesus stands. His presence is with us. Notice also, He sustains. Jesus sustains. You know, if you will take your Bible and for a moment begin to flip through the succeeding chapters and scan them, you will find Paul's name again and again and again and again throughout the book of Acts. This is not the final scene here, what I'm trying to say. Not the final scene. Matter of fact, if you go past the book of Acts, you'll come to Romans, authored by Paul. You'll come to 1st and 2nd Corinthians, authored by Paul. You'll, you'll run into many. As a matter of fact, the majority of the remainder of the New Testament were, was written by the Apostle Paul in his letters, in his correspondence, and many of which were written from a jail cell. Listen. The, the Apostle Paul would go on to write these books during his imprisonment. By, by this, I want you to know that in our moments of greatest fear and greatest pain, there is grace and strength to find, find in the intervening presence of Jesus. There is His presence is what sustains us. His presence the confidence in knowing that I am not alone, that I am not left uh, uh, to own my own wherewithal or my own ability or in my own strength, that He is with me. It changes everything. It did that for missionary Darlene Dibler Rose. Darlene Dibler Rose was a missionary's wife that was captured by the Japanese during the years of the uh, surrounding World War II. Matter of fact, I think she was, a, she was a missionary to China. And when Japan invaded China, she was taken captive. She was placed in prison. Matter of fact, she was placed in a death camp. The door to her cell had these Japanese words across the, per the top of it. This person must die. When she was in the cell... She was in complete terror. In her, in her autobiography, she said this, Suddenly I found I was singing a song that I had learned as a little girl in Sunday school in Boone, Iowa. Fear not, little flock, whatever your lot. He enters all rooms, the doors being shut. He never forsakes, he never is gone, so count in his presence from darkness till dawn. Jesus is there. Jesus is with us, child of God. Jesus will never leave you in our hour of greatest need. He, I'm here to tell you that, that, that today that Jesus will come and He will stand at your side. Jesus will attend our pain. Notice also, Jesus will assure our path. Go back to verse number 11. And the night following, the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, 
so must thou bear witness also at Rome. Not only did Jesus come to where he was, but he spoke to him. I wonder how many times you may, I wonder how many of you realize that one word from Jesus can change everything. Notice these are words of inspiration. Inspiration. He said, be of good cheer. I don't know if you, if it was an audible voice or, or just a deep sense of God speaking from within that was unmistakable. But God spoke to Paul. As a matter of fact, the words are given to us in red, which indicates that the Lord here is Jesus. Jesus is speaking to Paul. And I want you to know today that Jesus is still speaking. You know, I can't promise you that Jesus will come in your room and sit beside you uh, on the bed during your hour of trial. Nor can I promise that you will hear the audible voice of Jesus. that, That that voice will reverberate from the walls within your home. But I can promise you this, that Jesus still speaks peace in the midst of the storm. That Jesus still speaks through His Word. I'm of, I am of a mind, and I think it's clear from God's Word that all revelation has ended with the drying of the Apostle John's pen at the end of the book of Revelation. But I do believe that God uses this book to still speak to our hearts from His very mouth God still speaks to us he still speaks through his word I don't understand I don't really understand how that black ink on an onion skin page can do it but I do know that one word from this word can change everything and can be more sure than a booming voice Peter said that in 2 Peter. He said, oh, I was there. You've not followed cunningly devised fables. For we were with him in the holy mount when God basically said, this is my son, hear ye him. Then he goes on to say, but we have a more sure word of prophecy. We have the word of God, which is more sure as if you heard it with your audible ear. We have a more sure word. Jesus is given that more sure word, be of good cheer. Or take heart, Paul, be of good cheer. Notice not only words of inspiration, but words of commendation. He said, for as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem. Now, I read these cha- I read all these chapters completely. And when Paul testified there, Remember, he, if you read the previous chapters, when he was discovered uh, in, the, in the court and accused of doing something against the Jewish law, he was lifted up and given an opportunity to speak. And he gave his testimony. He told them of how, how he was changed in Damascus. Nobody played just as I am and they didn't set up an altar and, and people didn't flood the altars. As a matter of fact, nobody got saved. As far as I can tell, no one was affected. The only effect it was, was to try to pull him apart and kill him. There was nobody converted. No salvations, no baptisms that took place in that that time. 
uh, during uh, uh, there was nothing that took place. There were, don't record a single person coming to Christ. No one was saved. You know, to be honest with you, we could we could get uh, a little disheartened here. I mean, be honest. I've, I've been here uh, going into my third year, and uh, I, I don't I, I don't think that we've seen anybody saved. Anybody walk the aisle? Uh, anybody? Come to know the Lord Jesus, maybe, maybe through your personal witness. Maybe, you know, I, I've seen people saved in other avenues of ministry that I have, but nothing's, nothing's really come about here. We could be, we could be disheartened. You know, we could, uh, we could uh, really, really be down about that. But listen to me. No matter what the outcome, you are never a failure when you obey God. When you put a priority of being obedient to God's word, be of good cheer. Take heart. No matter how dark the hour, no matter how dismal the circumstance, you are doing what I asked you to do, the Lord Jesus would say to us, and you're on the right path. Just obey me, and he'll take care of the rest. And that's what our endeavor is to do here, is to try to obey God. Just obey him, worship him, love him, tell about him. Be a witness for Christ. And let the chips fall where they may. Words of commendation. He said, I've seen what you're doing here, Paul. Notice also words of destination. Look at what he said. He follows up. He said, I've seen what you've done in the past. I've seen that thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem. That's where he is right now. So must thou be a witness at Rome. That was Paul's plan. Paul's plan was to, was to go to Rome and then go to Spain and then Go to the far reaches. He, he tells about that. And Jesus said, hey, even though it don't look like it now, that's where you're going. That's where your destiny is. Listen, Paul's life was in jeopardy. He was almost beaten to death by a mob, nearly pulled apart by the joints. Paul had to be wondering, is this is how I, I, I'm going to get killed in this jail? I'm going to die. This is how it's all going to end for me. Then Jesus shows up. And basically says, Paul, I'm not done with you. You're going to Rome. These words settle it. Paul himself would later write concerning the faith of Abraham in similar ways. Romans 4.21 And being fully persuaded that what God had promised, he was able to perform. Paul had God's promise there in that prison. He had promised, uh, he, had, he had the promise of God to assure him that God was not finished with him. You know, could you leave this place today and get run over by a truck and die? Unfortunately, yeah, that's a possibility. Could happen to any of us. But not unless God deems it to be so. Not unless God was finished with your life and your purpose for His kingdom and His glory. The words of destination. I'm not done with you, Paul. And until I'm done with you, you're not going anywhere. You're not leaving this earth. You're going to where I will take you. Jesus will attend our pain. Jesus will assure our path. Also, Jesus will appoint our protection. Now, I want you to read with me the following verses that are a direct consequence of what 
the Lord had assured Paul in verse 11. Look with me in verse 12. And when it was day, certain of the Jews banded together and bound themselves under a curse, saying that they would neither eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. And they were more than 40 which had made this conspiracy. And they came to the chief priests and elders and said, We have bound ourselves under great curse that we will eat nothing until, until we have slain Paul. Now therefore, ye, uh, ye with the council signify to the chief captain that he bring him down unto you tomorrow, on the, tomorrow as though we would inquire something more perfectly concerning him and we, or ever he come near, and we, or ever he come near, are ready to kill him. So the plot is made obvious. This was a sinister plan. The Jews decided to take the law in their own hands. And this band of group, they went into basically a curse. And they're, they're basically saying, hey, call for him to come down again for a further questioning. And then as he's being brought down, we're going to kill him. We'll assassinate the Apostle Paul. Well, these are going to be, uh, these are going to be some 40 of the hungriest boys you ever did see because by a strange turn of events, Paul was transported out of town in the night. Look with me in verse 16. And when Paul's sister's son had heard their saying, laying in wait, he went and entered into the castle and told Paul. And Paul called one of the centurions unto him and said, Bring this young man to the chief captain, for he hath a certain thing to tell him. And he took him and brought him to the chief captain and, and said, Paul was the prisoner, called me unto him and prayed me to bring this young man unto thee who hath something to say unto thee. And the chief captain took him by the hand and went with him aside privately and asked him, What is thou thou sayest? And he said, And the Jews have agreed to desire thee that thou wouldest bring down Paul to, tomorrow uh, into the council as though they were, would inquire somewhat of him more perfectly. But do not thou yield to them, for there lie in wait for him uh, of them more than forty men which have bound themselves to an oath that they would neither eat nor drink till they have killed him, and now they are ready looking for a promise from thee. And so the chief captain then let the young men depart and charged him, See thou tell no man that thou hast showed these things to me. The plan was foiled. The, the plan was foiled. The, the most heinous laid plans to destroy the apostle Paul were foiled by a little child. Listen, when I was in college, I was on my way home. I was telling a gentleman about this the other day, one of my co-workers, and we were kind of talking about how life and death issues, and I said, man, you know, when I was in college, I, I think we were talking about traffic and accidents, and I, uh, I said when I was in, coming home from college for a weekend, I uh, was coming around 20, 24 on my way home to Trenton, and I, I rounded one curve, and I was reaching down into the floorboard to pick up a tape, some, obviously something to listen to. And I pick up a tape, and when I, when I lift it up, 
I didn't realize that traffic had just come to a dead stop and in front of me was some kind of truck with, with the metal in the back of it. I slammed on my brakes. I began to fishtail. I turned it towards the emergency, towards the median in the middle and I slid around the truck and when I come to a stop, I was, turn, I was looking right at what was in the back of the truck. So my head was right there where the stuff was in the back of the truck. In the back of the truck, there were pieces of angle sitting out probably 10, 15, 20 feet off the tail end of that truck, sticking out like something to just impale somebody with little red flags on the end of it. And right there where my head was, what could have easily been a piece of angle that would have gone right through my skull and killed me on the way back to my home. Same thing happened in Brevard when I was, I was uh, rappelling one day and didn't realize it that I had been rappelling on a cotton rope and that cotton rope had been swinging back and forth on those, on those rocks up there. I could, have been, I could have fallen from that 80 foot cliff and died in the mountains, easily in the mountains of North Carolina. I'd have busted hell wide open. I was lost as a ball in highways in both circumstances. But in both circumstances, God preserved my life. And until I, the plans of our life are fulfilled, until God has meted out His purpose in our life, we are as good as, as living under His protection. Listen, I believe that the child of God yielded to the will of God is immortal and to the accomplishment of the purposes of God. You're not going to leave this planet one minute longer uh, or one minute shorter than God had intended for your life. We see sinister devices. This is a satanic plot to kill the Apostle Paul. Also the sovereign discovery. The wiles of the devil and his satanic plans for the assassination of God's men were cut short. How? Was it a big lightning bolt from heaven? Was it a big earthquake to foil this devilish plot? No. It was a little birdie. My mama, my mama used to say that sometimes. Oh, you know, she'd find out something I did at school. A teacher would call her or something and, and she'd know about How do you know about that? Oh, a little birdie told me. A little message got passed. A little boy overheard the plot and ran to tell Paul who referred him to the captain who gave audience to the little boy's message. Listen, sometimes God will just use some tiny thing. Some seemingly insignificant circumstantial thing to bring about the deliverance of our lives. God doesn't have to part the skies and rain hundred dollar bills down to meet our needs. The smallest situation in our life that you don't think uh, much about God can use to bring deliverance. To bring exactly what you need to be, to foil the plans of Satan and promote us into doing His perfect will. Listen, this ought to encourage all of our hearts. That whether by sovereign miracle or simple means, God's in control, working all things together, together for the good of them that love God and are called according to His purpose. <laughs> whether by great or by small, God is able to deliver. A sinister device is sovereign discovery. Also, a safe deliverance. Verse 23. He called unto him two centurions, saying, Make ready 200 soldiers uh, 
to go to Caesarea. And horsemen threescore and ten and spearmen two hundred at the third hour of the night. And provide them beasts that they may set Paul on and bring him safe unto Philip the governor. One of the the miracles about this whole thing is that the captain believed the little boy. (laughs) How in the world did this little boy make his way all the way to the leading? The captain that had so much command. Did you read that verse? I mean, there are hundreds of soldiers that are at his whim. And he's listening to a little boy. God knows how to guide the hearts of those in command according to his sovereign purposes. He believed it and even ordered uh, that Paul be moved in the middle of the night, that's that third watch, in the middle of the night with 470 soldiers. The 40 Jews said, we are committed to killing him. But the Lord Jesus said, I'm committed to keeping him, preserving him. And God took 470 rough and tumble soldiers and completely encircled the Apostle Paul to see him safely to Caesarea. Can you imagine the convoy (laughs) that is around the child of God? Back in 1 Kings, one of my favorite stories is the story of Elisha and his, uh, his, little, his servant that's with him. I think it's Gehazi. That servant's with... Uh, no, it wasn't Gehazi. It was just a servant with him. And Elisha, uh, they were in a situation in which the Assyrian army, they woke up and the Assyrian army had found them and encircled all around them. And his servant was going nuts. Look, we're completely surrounded. This is the end. I'm going to write my last will and testament. And Elisha calms him down. And said, no, this is not the end. 2 Kings 6, 16 and 17. And he answered, Elisha, fear not. For they that be with us are more than they that be with them. How is that possible? I mean, there's just two of us here. And there, there are a myriad of armies surrounding us. How can you say that, Elisha? Elisha prayed then and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. Didn't say that Elisha's eyes were open, just a servant. Elisha knew it. He trusted God. He had faith in God. Psalm 34, 7, the angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him. And delivereth them. I tell you, I don't care how old these verses are. They are still just as true today. The child of God in the will of God will will continue on until they fulfill the purposes of God for their life. I don't need to fret. I don't need to worry. Why? Because the Lord stands by me. Wherever I go, He's with me. He'll never leave me, nor forsake me. He's always with me, speaking words of encouragement, opening my path, bringing me protection, seeing me through to His will for my life. I'm reminded of an old song in closing. Just when I need Him, Jesus is near. Just when I falter, just when I fear, ready to help me, ready to cheer, just when I need Him most. Just when I need Him most, just when I need Him most, Jesus is near to comfort and cheer just when I need Him the most. So I don't want to say just because He's always there. 
He's with us all times, at all times. That reality ought to discomfort us and comfort us at the same time. Jesus is always with us, never leave us, never forsake us. Do you need Him most today? He's here. Jesus is here. If you know Him in saving faith, if you trusted Him as Lord and Savior, then He is near. Standing somewhere in the shadows, you'll find Him. Come to Him. Do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? If not, come. Repent. Believe the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Come and know Him. Are you committed to Him? To do His will. To hear His voice and respond in faith and obedience. Leaving all the outcome in His hands. Lord, I will follow You. Lord, I will obey You. You take care of the circumstances around us. That's what He wants from us. That's what He desires for us. To take up our cross and follow Him. To take up our own death. Lord, I'll follow You. I'm dead to self. I'm going to obey You. I'm going to follow You and leave the rest in Your hands. Amen. When the Lord stands by, the Lord stands by, we are protected, we are comforted, and we are assured of the future together. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's all stand to our feet, every head bowed, every eye closed. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love You. I thank You for the Lord Jesus. Thank You for these comforting words that You gave to the Apostle Paul, and that through that You speak to our hearts. Again, I, I don't know if it was your illuminescent presence in that room or if it was like the two on the Emmaus Road, a physical body but looked like everybody else. But I do know this, is that Jesus is promised to be with us and He is with us even now. Even the darkest situations that look the most grim, the most difficult, Jesus is with us. God, help us to live in accordance with that truth. That's what faith is, Father. To take the truth of God's Word and to live in accordance to it. Help us to have faith in believing Your Word, to live according to what Your Word says. Having confidence in Him. God, help us to do so. Father, we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. If you're here today and the Lord has spoken to your heart, whether at this altar, at this seat, you approach God with it. You speak to Him. Page number 330. I need thee every hour, 3.30.